Hey, what's up, Surf Splendor listeners? Welcome back to the show. This is David Scales, your host of Surf Splendor. Catching up from last week, I published an episode called The Reverse V Project with Maurice Cole, Morris Cole, and uh, Tom Curran chatting about their reverse V project. The audio quality was really spotty on it. Um, there was a lot of ambient noise in the room that it was recorded in, and a number of people reached out regarding that. Um, a number of people reached out saying they loved the episode and didn't mention anything about that. Seems like maybe the difference is um, listening to it with headphones on or not, believe it or not. I mean, the quality is uh, spotty either way, but that seems to be a little bit of a better listening experience. The other thing is I... Um, rendered a much higher quality file type because I knew that the audio quality was already suspect. So that higher quality audio file is much larger. And I know people were having buffering issues. They said they'd click play and it said that file wasn't found. Persevere, wait for it, it'll show up. And the other thing is if you can persevere the mediocre audio quality, there are some gems in there. Um, so if you can get through it, it's worth it. If not, totally understand. Skip that one. Wish that I could do more about it, but there isn't anything I could do at this point anyways. So that's that. Um, Red Bull TV just dropped their new film, Let's Be Frank, which I talked about in a previous show. I interviewed the filmmaker and the the main star of that, and I'm going to publish that on Friday. The timing was important to me. I, I wanted you to be able to view the film before listening to the episode. I think the episode will actually have make a lot more sense and have more value that way. So it's on Red Bull. Uh, I think it's redbull.tv, but you can actually link to it in today's show notes on surfsplendorpodcast.com. I put a link to it, and um, it's only available for 10 days. So starting today, September 19th through the 29th, It'll be available for free on Red Bull TV, and then from that point on, it's available on iTunes. You'll be able to pay for it. But I love it. I think it's a great film. I recommend you watching it. It's actually 50 minutes long, which I misquoted later in this episode with Scott. But it's 50 minutes long, well worth your time. And then, again, Friday I'll pub publish the episode. So that'll give you enough time to watch the film and then also listen to the episode and re-watch it for free if you're so inclined. That's that. Um, I believe that's all the business I have to give you now. Surfsplendorpodcast.com is the website, social media at Surfsplendor. Chime in on this conversation between Scott and I. We cover a lot of ground here today. Some real heady topics, some real serious topics. So, uh, yeah, prepare yourself. All right, without further ado, enjoy today's show. I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Thanks. Right as Scott sits in his chair, the mics are hot. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Welcome, everybody. Down the line, Surf Talk Radio. David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you here on this Monday. Is it Monday? Yes. Monday, September 16th. How do you like my new toy? It's pretty cool. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Is it the selfie stick is the new toy? You're, <laughs> That's it. You're <laughs> infatuated by it, I can tell. That's it. No, the thing's amazing. I'm like years late to the selfie stick yeah, you trend are. You are. and i mean it fell out of fashion the month that it came out yeah. but i gotta say it's kind of yeah. awesome yeah it's my favorite i can new tell toy. you i can tell you're excited about it i see the glimmer in your eye you're gonna see the results of this thing and you're gonna be a convert 
<laughs> I'm gonna see you. I'm gonna start seeing selfie photos of you at right. the beach. Oh no! Yeah. Um, yeah. So, dude, good to see you. Yeah, it's September 16th. I think I said that it's Monday, and um, yeah, good to see you. We, it's been three weeks because um, a couple of things have happened that I forget exactly why. I think I went to Orlando. You might have. I was in Santa Cruz. You were in Santa Cruz. Yeah. Um, we're at the Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Right. That's cool. That is cool. Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. We're in the library slash board of directors conference room. And yeah, we're yeah. here to talk surf well, on this sort of busy. There's a lot to talk about. I just picked up this new issue of Surfer Magazine Yeah, as I walked in. Mick Fanning on the cover. It's pretty cool. Pretty cool. I saw some Instagram stuff about Mick Fanning. Apparently, he's in Alaska right now. It's Ron Dog Blakey. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. And um, I don't know what they're doing. Maybe they're just enjoying nature, check fishing, checking out the bears. Did you know Ron Blakey is his manager? I don't know if he's his manager, but he's involved in his management somehow. Wow, I did Mick not Fanning. know that. Yeah, I mean... Is that a conflict of interest? You know, it's been discussed. Um, I guess as a commentator... Not really. I suppose if he was a judge, it would definitely would be. But I remember hearing that a while back, and then um, I think Chaz maybe and Derek at Beach Grit mentioned that they worked together back in the day. And then a listener sent an email at some point pointing out that that is true. Um, so, yeah, just interesting. But that's why they're hanging out. They're old buddies. Right. Okay. Um, before we get into the show, can I read a comment? Sure. On the website? Please. Or from the website? Go ahead. Um in our last show, so I'll just not even preface it. I'll just get straight into it. Bob left a comment on surfsplendorpodcast.com and said, Hey guys, love the show. Last episode in regards to surfing in the Olympics and the Joe Buck interview, David said something along the lines that the mainstream media coverage of surfing, quote, gets more people interested in surfing, shows that the outside world has an interest in, has an interest in surfing. And I think that's all great. End quote. It's your show and your opinions, as it should be. But just so you know, I've been surfing 40-plus years. Most of the people I know and hang out with are surfers. And as far as I can tell, nobody I know thinks that getting more people interested in surfing is a good thing. Except maybe the shop owners, and they're not quick to admit it. Um, and I think they're morally conflicted about it. The premise that more mainstream interest in surfing is good is not even... Uh, is not an undisputed given. Far from it. In general, I think that if you make money off surfing, then it's good. If not, uh, what's so good about it? It might make for an interesting topic to discuss on a future show. Keep up the good work. Well, he brings up a great point. And, and I would... I mean, I think that his sample audience is, is probably cogent or, or it's valid. Like, I, I would suggest to you that... Many people in the parking lots at surf spots around the globe are probably like, really, do we need more people in the water? Mm -hmm. Is that what we're going for here? Why is this a good thing? And my immediate selfish self would suggest, yeah, I agree with that. You know, like why? Like, in fact, just yesterday I was out surfing by myself and within an hour there was like 15 people on the same peak I was on. And I was like, this is lame. But I tend to look at it from... I try to look at it from the big picture, global, 30,000-foot level. And and I look at it like sort of <laughs> sadly because I always I always sort of poo-poo the spiritual concept of surfing. I, I don't right. poo-poo it, but I just think it's – I don't know. I don't know how to best phrase it right now. But what I will say is that I was given the gift of riding waves. It's changed my life in dramatic and great ways. Um, and And 
who am I to hold that from somebody else? That's sort of where I come from. Like, it, it's like, you know what? Let's pass it on. Like, now granted, there is there a tipping point? Like, is 50 million surfers too many surfers? You know, I don't know, but I know we'll have 50 million ocean lovers and it's good for the ocean. It's good for the planet. You know, I, I and they maybe might, maybe I'm wrong too. You know, maybe I'm just like I'm too idealistic. Like maybe you know maybe fifty million surfers means fifty million people exploiting it, right? And making it you know fifty times worse than it already is. Yeah. Have the ocean have the surfers thus far improved the quality of the ocean or diminished it? You know, an argument could be made that we've diminished it. Well, um, yeah. You know what? You're right. An argument could be made that way. Um, I when I first read Bob's comment, I immediately was on his side against myself even. I was just like, Yeah, you're right. What was I thinking by saying that? But then I kind of vacillated back to what you're talking about, which is No, you know what? Like, this is a wonderful thing that we should share with everybody and it will find an equilibrium and maybe those fifty million won't be ocean lovers, maybe they'll be wave pool lovers, you know, because that the ocean can't accommodate, and by the way, the coastline can't accommodate that many people. So it's going to have to move inland, which you know Kelly Slater's making plans for with the wave pool. So um, yeah, I'm I'm not. I I guess I do. Bob mentions the shop owners have a moral conflict about it. I suppose that I do too. You know, it's like I don't fully believe and get on board with adding more people and more surfers to the lineups. But at the same time, I'm all about sharing, and it is a good thing, and people should have the benefit in their life that you and I have. So I do feel both ways about it. But by the way, you and I do make – he's Bob's also correct. You and I do make a living out of the surf industry, and that part of me is always uh, capitalistic and always focused on adding more units. You know? Well, I can say for, for – um you know, with absolute certainty that that has absolutely nothing to do with why I think that that more people enjoying the ocean is a good thing. I, I don't I don't care if I don't make another dollar from every additional. Like, I'm not I'm not driven capitalistically by, it, and that and that's not why I'm making this the case that I'm making. I'm making the case, quite frankly, because I think that it has brought surfing has brought me to a place in my life where I'm extremely spiritual and thankful i'm a believer with a capital b and i won't get into my dogma on air because i don't want to hear it but surfing has made me a more spiritually loving a more spiritual loving kind and people people that have surfed <laughs> with me are probably going what and people who listen to the podcast but yeah just think how bad it would be if i didn't surf i'd probably be in jail or dead Oh, deed. <laughs> well, tell me how you feel about Brazilian surfers and female <laughs> surfing while you're talking about being. I love female. It's funny. I was surfing. There was a. So I was telling you yesterday. I surfed. I was by myself. Within an hour, there was 15 people surfing with me, and one of them was a female. And I was like, Oh, you know what? She's the only one that I'm sort of enjoying being in the same realm with. And it wasn't the, her gender that had that. It was just the effect that she was just like this calm. She had the sense of calmness about her. She wasn't like scraping for every wave like the rest of us were, you know, and I sort of appreciated it. I was like, I could share a lineup with a person with that attitude, you know. But was she getting waves? She was trying, you know. <laughs> but was she getting waves? My point is not using aggression. Was she still able to satisfy her? I don't know. I'm conflicted. I don't know what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm Let me ask you this. <laughs> 
so those people show up in the lineup. What yeah. was your demeanor? Were you more of her mindset and being chill, or were you aggressively trying to get waves? Well, I struggle with my demeanor in the water. I do. Like I do too. Like my with yours, by the way. I'm my my. <laughs> My, you know, I struggle in the water. I, you know, as I get older, I'm like, I just struggle with, with crowds. First of all, I, I'm sick of having to like hassle for waves. I'm just sick of it. Like, I'm just kind of over it. And like, you know what I mean? Like, plus I'm getting older. Like there's a bunch of 22 year old kids yeah. just paddling circles around me. Not, you know me, I'm in pretty good shape. I can surf pretty, I can still hold my own, but it's the fact that I have to like, yeah, that bothers me, right? Because yeah, you remember a time when you didn't, right? Or that it didn't bother me to be like that was part of my mindset, and I've just I've just evolved as a human being to a place where I just you know I just don't enjoy that part of it anymore. I forget where this conversation's going. I was what just asking you? what you, you were shaming all the people for being aggressive in the lineup and saying that you appreciated her. Eat, eat oh her. right her energy but what was your energy no my energy was one of con i was conflicted inwardly and i was trying really hard to be as calm and as loving um to those people as possible yeah you know because I, when i'm on land i'm believe it or not i'm trying to um i'm trying my best to be tolerant loving and kind and compassionate and empathetic towards my fellow man i'm trying yeah. you know i don't always in fact i very rarely succeed the fact that you're actually actively trying all this time indicates that there's <laughs> Thank that, you. there's a natural force at play that uh so when i go in the water against. it's a complete opposite right immediately i'm like okay and then i started thinking to myself well look this is a sport if this is a sport if this was basketball i wouldn't be going oh you know what you go ahead and shoot the basket i'm not going to try to defend you and since if i look at it like oh this is a sport and we're out here to compete and catch waves well then okay let's compete and then it's on except you've spent the last 10 well, years on not, this podcast because, saying it's not a sport well, because so it isn't you, it, okay. I mean, it's many things, right? It's neither. It can be a sport, but Depending on the big on picture, what point you want to make one well, time. No, I mean it's a sport when you put on a jersey and somebody blows a horn and you go. Yeah. Out. But when you're just surfing, it's not. I don't. So you're it's saying, like rock climbing. You know, like rock climbing. Yeah, it can be a sport, but you go out there because it's more about you versus the. You know, how far you can better yourself versus you know the climbing archetype or whatever it is. So, so you're treating it as not a sport, but these guys come out treating it like a sport. Now you have to put a jersey on just right, to get waves. Right. And then, of course, the next day I can be in sport mode and be like, why isn't everyone else paddling hard for the waves and somebody else is yeah. in the mode I was in where they're like trying to relax. Right. So I'm, I'm constant. I guess I'm super sensitive to lineups and the way people, the vibes that are going down in the lineups. And I don't know. It's funny. It's all I, quite confusing. You've confused the heck out of me. No, I feel, you know, I mean, that's, by the way. You should have strong opinions and you should allow those opinions to be challenged. You know, that's yeah. what being a nuanced human being is. And that's really what this show is about, too. But I feel the same exact way and I go through the same exact conflict when I'm surfing where I will, even if the waves are better at the pier, I live in Huntington, um, I'll paddle down the beach just to surf alone because I don't want to deal with the crowds. And especially yeah. the pier is notoriously aggressive, you know, but ultimately other people will paddle out and I'll go through that exact same shift where I'm now acting like the bully at the pier. Cause I was out here first and this is my peak. What are you doing here? So I try to maintain priority positioning in the lineup and battle it out. But I have to admit that me even shifting into that mindset when somebody else joins the lineup, I've already lost yeah. the game. Yeah. You know, I know. And, and so, um, I guess part of it has to do with how good the waves are, too. For instance, yesterday it was one to two foot. 
Right. You know, and it was like a Sunday afternoon. There was just this one lame, lazy little beach peak that I was riding a longboard on. It wasn't like eight foot blacks or something where it's like, okay, we're, let's get it on. You know, mm-hmm. like this is real. There's, it was just like, and so when three guys paddle out on wave storms, <laughs> they're just like charging full blast for every little peak. You know, you're just like, oh, God, really? Okay, I'm just going to go in. Like, I was just like, I'm just going in. Totally. Mm-hmm. And it, I mean, to be honest, it could be their first session in a month. And they're oh, absolutely. psyched to be out there. Yeah, so. and I don't mean to throw my trip on them. They were no, having a good yeah. time. They weren't, they weren't like actively being assholes or anything. It was right. just, they weren't <laughs> congruent with the way I was feeling at the time. And so right. I just have to accept that and deal with it however I deal with it, either paddle in or adjust my attitude. And, and I, so I found myself yesterday trying to just be trying really hard to love everybody in the water. Like, just like I was going, you know what? What if I was in a setting where this, I was mentoring this person, you know, Mm -hmm. like, wouldn't I be kind, loving and tolerant and like take in their energy. And, and so I was in this weird space and it's all probably rather boring for a podcast. No, I think it's the meat and potatoes, dude. Um, but shout out and thanks to Bob for the comment, surf splendor podcast.com. I always tell people like, Scott and I are the ones with the mics, but we want to open up the conversation to everybody. Absolutely. Thanks for the, yeah, Bob. And I think Bob's right. I think he's totally, I mean, I get, I totally get where he's coming from, you know, and it's hard to argue against it. It is. And I'm not going to argue against it. I'm just going to say that if you did ask my opinion, I would say, I think bigger picture and I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I probably am, but that's just how I feel. Yeah. Well, Chime in with the conversation with us. And then also um, on social media is a great way to do it, too. I've been trying to do a little bit more fan engagement stuff, posting little videos, asking for reflections on heats that were, uh, you know, questionably scored and that sort of stuff. So my Instagram is at Surf Splendor. Scott's is at Boardroom Show. Yeah. So. Well, you brought up um, maybe these millions of new surfers that are going to come to the sport. Millions of new ocean advocates is sort of how I look at it. Like, but are they? I mean, that's who knows. Big, yeah, we don't know. Bigger. You know? Yeah. Maybe they'll be. You know, I mean, are there more mountain advocates because snowboarding has increased the number of people that are on the mountain? Or are there more people that appreciate nature and that do the right thing and maybe pick up their popsicle stick and don't? You know, like no, I think there's both. I think there's with a larger volume of people. Part of them are going to be advocates, and part of them are going to be leaving their trash by the side of the road. Selfish jerks. Totally. But there's more footprints on the mountain. We know that. That can't be good. Which, again, yeah. Ooh, okay. Bob, maybe you swayed me. I'm easily swayed. (laughs) You mentioned uh, maybe some of these millions of new surfers will be uh, at surf parks. And so um, that's a segue that I'll use to drive in this next subject, which is Surf Park Summit 2. Mm. which took place in Orlando, Florida. Surf Park Summit 2, it brings together engineers and designers and financiers and marketing gurus and people with new technology and all sorts of people, right, to sort of discuss and to move the surf park industry forward. And some interesting things came out of the Surf Park Summit 2. My big takeaway was, you know, Surf Snowdonia is the first surfing resort, like a place that was built so that you go there and you go surfing, and it's in Wales. And there's a guy named Andy Ainscoff who owns it and operates it. And he was first to market. You know, he had the balls to go, you know what? We're going to do this. We're going to take this wave garden technology. We're going to open up a surf resort. And to be surf- first to market is, like I said, it. 
it takes a lot of moxie because and but but the surf park industry needed somebody to be first to market you know everyone was kind of waiting on the sidelines and in some regards they still are yeah waiting to see how surf snowdonia pans out will it be a success is it really a business you know is there money to be made around it and so my hat is off to andy ainscoff who I sort of feel is like a Hall of Famer in the surf park industry um, just for being first to market. And so what that's done is that it's allowed people to go, okay, well, he's been in business for about six or eight months now. Yeah, he's had some bumps in the road. That's why we were on the sidelines to see the bump in the road, to learn from the bump in the road. So we're going to get to learn off of his sweat equity and his sweat capital and maybe not make those same mistakes, you know. So it takes a lot of balls to be first to market, and he did that. It's such a huge project, yeah. It's amazing, you know. So one of the takeaways, David, is that there's a lot of financiers now, a lot of people that perhaps are willing to look at lending money against this as a business. Because it's, it's not a proven commodity. They don't have anything to base it off of. So they need somebody that's first to market to go, yeah, well, he's making money. So maybe we'll lend on this concept, you know. So that's sort of, I think, my biggest takeaway was that before everyone was like, well, who's going to finance it? That's why, you know, I've often said, hey, call me when it's six foot and perfect. I got phone calls for years at Surfer Magazine. Hey, it's going to be three feet. You know, I've made this great new technology, you know, and, I, and I, we would always say, hey, can we come film or do a story on it? Is it six foot and perfect? And the answer was always, well, we can make it six foot and perfect, but the one that we've built is only two foot and dribbly. Mm-hmm. But we've made little test models that, you know. And so now we it is, you know, basically four foot, shoulder high and perfect. And so the model's out there. It's been proven. We can perhaps lend against it. Um, it's, it, you know, financiers are sort of vaguely interested, you know, and... I think that's fascinating. That was mm-hmm. sort of the takeaway I got as as the MC. I got to announce all of the presenters, so I listened and watched the thing through its entirety, eight hours of surf park presentations from various people, and that was sort of my takeaway was that um, for the first time, there might be some people that are willing to to finance and, and land against this concept, which is big because you can't build four foot and perfect without it unless you're like. You know, Coors, Dave Coors, I think his name, Doug Coors, who's got tons of money, who's built, he's the one building the inland uh, surf park in Texas. And even Andy Ainscoff's thing is, was, it's like family money. It wasn't fine. Sure. So. Was anybody from Slater's wave pool represented there? Uh, there may have been somebody there uh, on the sidelines, sort of in the crowd. There was no presentation. Right, right. Because people are mis... I think people are misinformed about Kelly Slater's way. Well, first of all... Inform us. Well, and I might be wrong. So if you're if you're from KS Wave, well, please email us so that I can get the story straight. But For the record, KS Wave Company. KS Wave Company. Thank you. I, I was the one who misstated it first, but... Um, first of all, it's an... It's... That's... I do not think that that's a... Um, a viable business wrapped around that wave. That wave breaks every seven minutes because it has to, the water has to settle down. Again, somebody at KS Wave Company might be cringing right now and going, that's not true, Scott. But what is true is that you haven't told us what is true. So I'm going to run with it until. I, you- yeah, I don't know that that was the case. Yeah, well, that's what somebody told me. That's another thing okay. I learned sort of behind the scenes okay. with this thing was that. Yeah, that wave breaks once every seven minutes at the earliest, probably more like seven to ten minutes because the water has to settle. It has to get glassy, right? If it's onshore, it's it's onshore. It's going to be crumbly no matter what. Yeah, and on, it wouldn't be onshore. It would just be uh, 
soupy from the previous wave. Or well, I mean, I'm I'm also referring to the wind. Like, if the wind's on shore there, yeah, but that would yeah. Okay, go ahead. I think it crumbles it just like any wave. Sure, but point is, if it's sheet glass, it still needs seven minutes for the water to settle for. The, okay, so there's no you can't run a wave park. Every seven minutes, like how much are you going to pay? How many how many waves does that get you well, in an let's, hour? Let's discuss that real quickly because I would pay. What's the other alternative? How many waves are you getting in seven minutes at the other park? Well, there's technology. 10? There's technology out there where you can get a wave every two minutes. Oh, okay. So if I pay three and a half times the price to get one instead of one good wave instead of one mediocre wave, I would do that. In that case, yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. There, there could be a business model wrapped around that because there's enough well-off people. I mean, there's the country club model where, yeah, you might, you know, you might get ten guys to pitch in a million dollars. Actually, let's look at the country club model. Let's say Kelly Slater's wave doesn't make sense to the mass populace because you're not going to have 300 people show up one day and not, everyone's not going to get a wave. Right? right? There's one wave every seven minutes. Let's say there's one wave every ten minutes. Six waves an hour. Right? Eight hours a day. That's 48 waves. 48 waves. How many waves do you want in a day? Shoot. 10? Okay, so that's you and four of your buddies. Let's say yeah. five of your buddies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you and five of your buddies for eight hours are going to get 10 waves each. Yeah. It's going to take you eight hours to get your 10 waves. Yeah, you spend the full day there. Yeah. What, yeah, so how much does it cost? How much, how much you want to pay how for that? How much are you paying for it? Yeah. How much do you want to pay for that? Because how much do you think it costs to run that thing for eight hours? A lot. A ton. Yeah. So, you know, there's this concept of the country club model, which is, hey, man, let's all get a butt. There's enough rich guys in the surf world these days. Let's get them all to throw in a million bucks and buy one of these things. That's just to build it and to have it and to buy the land. And let's just say it's, let's say it's $10 million. Like we bought some cheap land in Vegas. We built one. Let's just say it's $10 million. I could be off $10 million either way. I don't know. Well, then you, only one way, actually. One way, right? Exactly. <laughs> it could be twenty million. So, so now you're looking at okay, we've built it. Well, who's going to run it? And how much does it cost to run? And who's going to pay for the staffing? Yeah. Oh, by the way, it costs. Let's say it costs five grand a day. Right. Well, who's going to pay the operations costs? Well, now I'm hitting you up as a member of this country club yep. for some fees. Yep. And so you can see that the numbers don't necessarily add up. It seems like. Um, and again, this is all evolving. You know, they're changing things and they're trying to get it more cost effective. And they're c- trying to create waves to dampen the water so that it you can run a wave quicker than one every seven minutes, you know, by having the water offload after the wave breaks into a trough. And then that water is filtered back to the there's a bunch of stuff going on. It's that's what's fascinating about it is that it's constantly changing. The stuff I'm talking about now, pure speculation and probably quite ignorant and naive is already changing. Yeah. Anyway, I forget where I was going. Interesting. Well, no, you're talking about Florida being at the summit. Well, um, you know, the, so the the Texas Surf Park, Inland Surf Park, Doug Coors, right? They've run into this problem. I think you and I talked about this. They're supposed to open, and they were supposed to open in the spring, right? Then they pushed it back to the summer of 2016. It's still not open. Here we are in the middle of September. Yeah. And they've run into this problem with the county where the park is located in Texas. Somebody there got, you know, an itch in their craw and said, no, this this surf park, if it's going to be called a surf park, has to have crystal clear swimming pool water. And we need the filtration to make it so. And if it's not, then you're, you don't get to open. And that's really bad news because 
they needed to know that prior to building it. And now they've built it based on sort of the wave garden water quality model, which is like the water of a lake. Right. And so, you know, my take on it is that there are some politician or county bureaucrat that didn't get paid off, that didn't get a meeting with somebody at Inland Surf Park, that didn't go, hey, I'll put some money into your reelection campaign. Just go ahead and sign off on this thing. Somebody's pissed off. There's an ego involved that just went, wait, wait, wait. I wasn't, I wasn't consulted about this. How did this go in without my knowledge? I, and they're like putting the kibosh on it. Mm. Sorry for hitting them. No, it's okay. Yeah. And so that's kind of where that's at. They, they didn't do all of their homework regarding the politics right. of this deal. They thought that with the water filtration system that they have in place that they'd be okay. Yeah. And quite frankly, they're not. And yeah. it's a weird place to be. And I think it's going to go through. I just think they're going to have to grease the right palm. Somebody's going to have to write a big check to somebody and it's going to be a backroom deal. And all of a sudden, hey, we're open because right. they're ready to go. They're right. ready to open the thing. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Nightmare. Um, how was Malibu Cup, by the way? Surfing Cup. Malibu was killer. Was it? Yeah. I went to the... I went to the Evening at Duke's had an awkward moment with Shane Dorian. Not awkward, but, you know, socially awkward situations where you want to go up and say hi. Like, I wanted to go up and say hi to Shane. I don't know Shane. I've been on some trips with him with Surfer Magazine, but he doesn't know me. He knows a million people, and I'm not one of them. And and I went up and said, hey, Shane, how you doing? And he's a very nice guy, by the way, super cool guy, just like you see in the in, in any video you've seen of him. Very nice human being. And we... We talked, but the conversation kind of just went nowhere. It was like, yeah, okay, that was a cool trip. And I went, yeah, that was a cool trip. And then there was like awkward, who says what next? And I just went, I'll I'll talk to you later. I'm going to go eat my dinner. Right. (laughs) And so I did that. And then the waves were good the next day, right? We got to surf really good Malibu. My team didn't do so well. I rode a shortboard. I rode a long, I get two waves, right? Everybody on the team gets to ride two waves at Malibu. It was four foot Malibu rolling through. So I rode my longboard on one wave. Came in, grabbed my shortboard, rode my shortboard on another wave, did a couple 50-year-old turns. What? what Pretty shortboard? proud of them. Uh, Rome. You know, Nick yeah. Ferrars made me this Rome twin fin with a little trailer. It's like an MR twin fin. Yeah, we talked about it. Love that show. board, man. I've been ripping on that. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think I've been ripping. We'll wait till the video yeah. shows up. Yeah, believe me. If, you know, like 1970s era roller coasters, to me, that's, ri- that's ripping. Yeah, it yeah. feels it's so fun to do. Yeah. And you know those big fins, a lot of foam, a lot of a lot of uh, spray comes off those big fins. So anyway, so I got my two waves. Our team didn't do so well. We had uh, Tyler Warren as our professional that we got to pick, and he did good. But it's kind of rigged. I'll just say it right now: Firewire wins it every year, right? Do they really? Yeah, they win it every year. They raise a lot of money, so I'm not poo pooing the fact that they don't raise a lot of money. But at some point, I'm going to have to field my own team, you know, because. Most of the teams are just guys like you and me that right. struggle to raise money, and we get to first, we get to surf first point, and we're just like you know generic surfers. Yeah, Firewire's team, and I guess the way it's supposed to work is if you have a team, a corporate team, the people on your team have to work for your company, right? right. So their team is. Mark Price, the CEO, he's a former World Tour surfer in the seventies and eighties. He was on the World Tour, good surfer. Chewy Reyna, another great surfer who was on the world tour at some point, like or was trying to qualify, but he's a world class surfer. Um, Rob Machado, 
<laughs> this and these aren't even their pros. You get to pick one pro, right? Rob Machado is quote unquote an employee of the company because so, he designs some of the boards. So he gets to serve for them. And then who's their other guy? That, then they get who, to pick a pro. Who is their pro? Their pro is Johnny Norris, who's oh, okay. a guy from Santa San Diego. Cruz. Guy. Oh, is oh his, I thought oh, he was Santa Cruz. Oh, maybe he's Santa Cruz. Great surfer, obviously. Right? He's a firewire team rider. I might be thinking Johnny Kraft. I don't know. I don't know. Johnny Norris, I want to say he's from San Diego. Might but be. I don't know, but he rips, right? And then they had, oh, and then they had Taylor Jensen. Taylor Jensen, world longboard right. champion, because he's also a quote unquote employee. And so they've got this incredible dream team, and they're going up against like me and you. You're on my team, and like some nice woman that's 45 that raised some money that can barely paddle. You know, like <laughs> there's no way we're going to win. And it just, you know, again... Winning isn't the point, Scott. But Contributing money yeah, to charity here's is the what, spot. Here's what is the point, to be perfectly selfish, is there's two heats and then there's a final. So if you get through your first heat, you get to surf twice. I just want to get through and surf again. Yeah, totally. And my team's never been able to do that, so I have a little bit of a selfish yeah. angst about That's it all. funny. So I'm thinking about fielding my own little dream team. Yeah, let's you do know, it. Is that like, why you were chatting with Shane Dorian that night? Well, no, Shane's <laughs> trying one of the, to recruit him on no, the team. <laughs> no, but you could get some good guys, you know, some yeah, really yeah, good guys yeah. that aren't just like sea level guys that you surf with yeah. that would rip at first point that are good contest surfers. Like you could get like Sean Madison, for yeah. instance. You know, guys like that that are totally good, competitive, yeah. that would just go off at first point and you would advance through and be able to surf it twice with. You know, totally. four guys out. That's the whole idea. You get an out, you know, you get some time. Did you free surf out there at all and try to get waves and warm up for the comp? Yeah, a little Did bit. Did you get a couple? Yeah, it's usually just super chaotic. Such a hassle out there. Yeah, man. especially during a contest situation. Yeah. Because there's a longboard contest that's happening in conjunction with. Yeah. So you've got all these longboarders from up and down the state there, and they're right. all really good. And there's a hundred of them trying to catch waves. It turns into longboarders, a longboarders, dude. Yeah, just a nightmare situation. Oh, it's, yeah. I hate surfing out there. Like I, the wave, the couple waves I've gotten out there are so fun though. Like yeah. it's so good. I know, but man, it's a hassle. It is. It's brutal. Um, I feel like at lowers. I mean, maybe because I grew up closer to lowers, like I can battle it out and I can always get waves at lowers pretty much. But up there, it's just a nightmare. Um, yeah, lowers you can sit underneath. You yeah. can sit wide. You can go way out. You can always, if it's big enough, it always seems to be breaking pretty far out. And- yeah. There's always and there's you can go both ways right so, so there's rights and lefts and there's strategy like like Pete Mel was saying you just hang out with Cordell Miller and you're going to be on the inside for the right hander because yeah. he's always going left and so you can hook up with certain guys and there's times of the day but I think at Malibu it's pretty much just this one fast takeoff spot yeah. and and you're liable to get I mean you're going to get burned oh you are going to you're going to get burned no matter even if you have priority. you are um, well it's Malibu Cup ran on the same weekend that the Lowers Pro did, and I feel like Malibu Cup didn't get enough love because of that. Like, well, thanks the for the Surf Aid Cup Malibu love that you're yeah. giving right now. Yeah, you Because Surf Aid, you're right. Really, what this is all about is raising money for the mother and child initiative that Surf Aid puts on, where they they help um, these families in these really the the, the remotest areas of Indonesia, and um, they get these people kind of. Forward thinking and progressive and on their feet and, and thinking about basic health things that you and I just take for granted. And it, it goes a long way to, to get a mother and a child to uh, the child to age five and the mother through the pregnancy and into, you know, and then these practices sustain themselves because they're they're then orally 
you know, transferred on to the next, to the next generation. Right. So, right. Just basic, basic, basic science. stuff. Don't, don't shit where you eat. <laughs> Pretty basic. Yeah. That's what, that's what it's about. Right. right. It's like that basic. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Totally. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInJobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Um, so that's actually a segue into the Hurley Lowers Pro. Wow. Don't Did shit where you eat. No. The, <laughs> what a segue. The, the Surf Aid Cup. Maybe that is a great weekend. segue for Gabby, you know? Yikes. Don't bite the hand that feeds you. Um, well, so there's a lot of interesting things that happen in this contest. Did you watch it? Did you get to watch it? I know you were busy. I did. I watched a bunch of it. Okay, cool. Yeah. Jordy Smith and Tyler Wright won the event. Um, and, you know, we can go through, I think a lot of people watch the event, so we can go through heat scores and battles that went down and all that, but there was more important themes that took place that are going to affect surfing on a more global level, I think. Some real questionable judging in multiple heats. Um, a couple of really amazing wild card stories. The title race got really kind of shaken up. What were some highlights for you of this event? Well, the obvious big highlight and or low light was Gabby Gate. You know what I'm okay. calling Gabby Gate, right? I mean, that was the big deal. I mean, it was plain and simple. Everyone agrees that Gabby's second wave was way better than his first wave, yet was scored under. So Gab, Gabriel Medina came up against Tanner Godowskis. I think, was it round three? I think it yeah. might have been round three. And it was a really high-scoring heat. Both well, guys were absolutely maybe, ripping. I'll just interrupt. Why yeah. don't you set the stage? What happened the prior heat, right, was John John lost. So, well, and, and even prior to that, in was round, Wilco. round two, right. Matt Wilkinson, so these two, who was number two in the world. Right. So it's like first, second, and third. Uh, uh, and Adriano was out. Right. So first, second, and third being John John Florence, Matt Wilkinson, and Gabriel Medina. World title race is on the line. We're in the middle of the season. Matt Wilkinson loses in round two to Brett Simpson in a very controversial, controversially scored heat. Uh, it was a very close heat. You can go back and look at it. It could have gone either way. The judges actually deemed Brett Simpson the winner. Matt Wilkinson was very upset. He was throwing his hands up. He went up, talked to the judges for 30 minutes, trying to understand uh, how he didn't get the score. He needed an eight. He got a right and just bashed the crap out of it. And I mean, arguably, I thought he was going to get the score and yeah. he didn't. But there, the, the, 
Wave was surfed a little bit repetitively. That's the only argument you could have made against the score. So at any rate, he's Even now like I mean Tanner Gadowskis was doing the same hit so over we'll get, and over. We'll get to that. So by Matt Wilkinson losing in round two, he's going to basically have to throw away. This is one of his throwaway results, and it really is going to affect his world title run. So there's a lot on the line. And Brett Simpson, the wild card, really doesn't even need the points. I mean, he's not on the tour. Maybe he'll re-qualify based on the success of this, but most likely not. So now, basically, world number one and world number three, John John Florence and Gabriel Medina, have a lot better chance to gain momentum going into the world title race. So it all comes down to round three. John John Florence ends up losing again to Brett Simpson, the wild card, the spoiler, the world title spoiler. So now, number one and number two are out of contention in this contest. Gabriel Medina has a real opportunity to p- kind of step on their throats and gain more points. So he comes up against Tanner Gadowskis, also a wild card, and ultimately had a, had a like a, a Tanner had two good scores. Gabriel needs a score, ends up getting basically not a set wave, but like a proper head. No, it was high, the right? biggest set wave. Was it the yeah, biggest? Yeah, it was the biggest wave. Yeah. Um, Strider even says, he goes, that was the set wave of the event. Of the That's right. Of the day for and sure. And he needs an 8 6 7. He has scored an. Eight six already. Yeah, he's got an eight six. He needs an eight six seven, and he gets the biggest wave of the event. Surfs it, insane. The best out of the first whole heat. turn, drifting the fins out the back. First turn was unique. Flies does big. The wave calls for him to fly down the line, so he can't just be going straight up. But he's doing big. Go ahead. I'm, I don't. No, you go. Go. So he's doing big flying gaffing turns and just ripping the bags out. And he probably did four or five more turns than he did on the eight point six. Sorry, that he already has. He already has an eight six, and everybody. I don't think there was anybody in the world that didn't go, oh, he just turned the heat on that wave, right. including Barton Lynch, Ross Williams, Ron Dog Blakey, Strider Wazalewski, Peter Mel, Joe Trapel's the only one that kind of took the, com- the company line. He in, never, he in never retrospect. an opinion. Right. Well, he yeah. shouldn't, actually. That's yeah. good. But um, this is one of those cases, too, where it's like, you know what? Your first intuition, the way you feel about this wave, you know, your, your, your gut instinct is usually right here. Mm-hmm. People were saying it was a nine five. Yeah, you know, like he didn't just not get the score. You know, like by a tenth of a point. Right. Yeah. Well, and I'm not. A, you guys know I'm not a Gabby fan. No, of course I have Tanner Gadaskis on my fantasy team. Right. But I even had to admit that was a joke. He was completely ripped off. Okay, let me play devil's advocate because you're right. It was the better wave of Gabriel's too, and Gabe had an eight eight three. On his first wave, and then that second wave was actually scored in eight three zero. Yeah, so less. Devil's advocate being, you're correct. Those two waves were misscored. Like the second one was better than the first. But if you just go back and look at the top two waves from each guy, who do you think should have won the heat? I haven't looked at it like that. I'm just telling you the way that the that you know. The way that it went down, Gabe should have won the heat. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that, oh, well, I mean, because you can't do that as a judge. You can't go, oh, we blew it at the beginning of the heat, so let's now change it. Right. You just can't do that. Right, right, right. So, yeah, in, in hindsight, we can look at all the waves and go, oh, you know what? Tanner actually deserved a win. 
But that's just not the way heats play out. You don't watch the whole heat and then go back and look at them all and then make your decision. We've seen it happen before, though, where it seems like judges are making up for a mistake made earlier in the heat and kind of bumping the score. You know, maybe well, we've speculated that we've seen that happen. The right. WSL's never gotten no, behind of course that idea. not. But you know what? Maybe I just came on to something. What's maybe that? we should just watch the whole heat and don't place any well, we've judgment talked about that. on it until yeah. after the heat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've talked about that. Well, I, I am going back and I'm looking at it as we're having this discussion, and it's pretty egregiously bad. Um, Tanner's first score was for three backside turns. Tanner's second score is for four backside turns. Gabriel's one that we were talking about, he did like five or six turns on a bigger big, wave high speed, that were just as massive, intense as big Canada's fans. Yeah. Lots of spray, big, yeah, powerful yeah. turns. Well, so the judges. Different turns. Tanner's turns are pretty much all. And but I will say tanners are, are more vertical. Tanners are critical. They're, They're vertical. super critical. Yeah. They're super. I'm not, but I'm just saying, if you're going to talk about re- repetition of maneuver, tanners are all pretty much the same maneuver, which by the way, that's what the wave calls for. But you can bust fins out. Right. And you can do stuff like the Brazilians do where they're doing, you know, slides and even crazy, you know, like Brazilian club sandwiches or whatever the hell. Like you just can't. Which everybody's accident, mistakenly calling a roast beef. Which I'm like, Strider, dude, the roast beef is a grab that you do when you're in the air. Like, that's an actual <laughs> grab. That turn is called the club sandwich, not the roast beef. Strider's getting his sandwiches confused. He's <laughs> got lunch on the mind. No, so so let's all agree with the internet and with the commentators with the and everybody that Gabriel got Gabby robbed Gabe. in that. But what ends up happening is... Now the world title race is kind of equalized again, where it was looking like Wilco's going to get thrown to the wolves and these guys are going to pounce. Which is where the conspiracy theorists are having a heyday, right? The conspiracy theorists out there right. are saying, look, this is meant so that John, John and Kelly are going to have a, a hoedown showdown at Pipeline and it's gonna, everyone's going to be watching it. <laughs> so, hoedown showdown, mark my word, <laughs> just like Willy Wonka is my phrase. So... I think you're right. So what this did was it equalized one, two, and three, which it looked like was going to create separation, but it also allowed some of the back runners to gain gain points, which right. was Kelly Slater, Adrian Buckin, right. Jordy Smith, those guys. Well, uh, but let's get let's get back to the point. Gabriel. Yes, yeah, he should so be fine. So Julian had an upset earlier. Gabriel had that upset. Wilco had upset. Those guys took to social media basically and started chastising the WSL and the judging and some of the things that were, and then even Gabriel's dad was recorded on somebody's Instagram. Like some reporter walked up to him on the beach and recorded him and was like, Hey, what are your thoughts on that? And his dad basically (laughs) threw the judges under the bus, threw the WSL under the bus. Everybody was blatantly talking crap about the WSL and the judging, something that Jeremy Flores has been fined for in the past. Right. So, the question is, is this a violation of the rule book yes. for the WSL? Yes, it is. And also, what's just appropriate and inappropriate? Where do you need to draw a line in the sand? One of the things that um, Wilco, I think, I don't I don't want to misspeak. It was either I've Wilco. I've got some of them written down. It was either Wilco or Wilson was saying like, look, we are judged with a fine-tooth comb. That's the nature of this. Somebody needs to create some sort of a checks and balances for the judges themselves. We're under a microscope. They need to be under a microscope because 
Of course, we're humans. We make mistakes. They make mistakes too, but there's no accountability for the mistakes that they made. And right. people's livelihood is on Yeah, them. the lack so, of transparency is frustrating. Tell me what the quotes are, Scott. Well, let me just say this. I think that Gabby and I think that Julian and Wilco should be fined. Um, I think Gabby's Based sort of on. outward callous disrespect by clapping sarcastically towards the, the crowd. In the heat. During the heat. Yeah. That's like Bobby Martinez level stuff, yeah. you know? Um, I don't know how much he should be fined. By the way, I sent an email to Pro- Dave Prodan today going, explain to me who makes the call. In the NFL, it's the commissioner. So Kieran Perro, I don't see him doing that. I think he's too tight with the competitors to be the... So who does that? But who it, makes those, it's his job. It is. Whether or I not- mean, in the NFL, it is. It's the right. commissioner's job to, to levy fines. So... Um, Article 171 of the WSL bylaws states that there's you can be fined and suspended for damage to surfing's image after public displays and conduct which cast the WSL and the sport of surfing in a negative light. And I would suggest to you that that what Gabby did in on live broadcast puts the WSL in a negative light. Julian's comments here they are. Oh, by the from way, from his the, social media. Yeah, the fines can be between one thousand and fifty thousand. Wow. 50,000. Julian said, when sleepless nights, countless hours of preparation and learning hard lessons from past upsets, it's hard not to feel frustrated when not getting rewarded in key moments like this. It might be time to break down what the judges see and understand as good surfing in comparison to what the best surfers in the world see and understand as good surfing, as it could be different. That's a pretty thought-provoking comment. I don't see it that is. as like inflammatory no. at all. This was like 24 hours after his heat when he had time to digest it, right? But also, let's he has an excellent point. He does. The best surfers in the world deem this as better s- surfing. And the judges don't. Right. Well, let's <laughs> Well, he's assuming a lot like who are the best surfers in the world. Well, Kelly Slater took to Instagram and said the same thing, you know. So Wilco said the judges might need to take some responsibility for their scores over the past two days. It might be time to put them under a microscope like they do to us. And then Jeremy Flores had the greatest thing, right? Which was, I've been saying this for six years. I've been fined millions of times. Now everyone is finally waking up. The judging at the moment is way too amateur for how big the sport has become. We have contracts, debts, sponsors, bonuses. We have dedicated everything to be at this level. We have all contributed to progressing our sport. Let's improve so that the next generation doesn't have to deal with this. Don't get me wrong. It must be tough to be a judge. It's a hard job. But if there isn't good enough judging, then there shouldn't be that much money involved. It's as simple as that. Another pretty well thought out yeah. just, you know, commentary by Jeremy Flores. So then Surfline did this great little thing about, hey, we asked the guys how to make it better. And the number one takeaway from that is the David Lee Scales thought, which is you've been saying this for years and I've been jumping on your bandwagon for a few years here, actually ever since you said it, that the judges should not know the score that's needed to turn a heat while they're judging. There needs to be soundproofing of some sort. Right. Yeah, totally agree. And Slater mentioned that on his Instagram. He did. The thing that that Brett Simpson brought up in that interview with Surfline was the problem with, like, when are we going to talk to the judges is that the guys lose and they leave and they're disgruntled and they just leave the contest site. And then when days end and when they might all huddle up and discuss the judging with the judges, they're all gone. Right. Like, it just doesn't happen. Like, the the WSL hasn't set aside a moment where they all need to kind of – 
hooey up group. and talk about it. And Jordy Smith said there should probably be something on Instagram where we're just told, hey, the wind's turning onshore. We're moving from barrels to judging now um, big airs or whatever. You know, how, you know sure. like as, as the judging changes throughout the day based on conditions, there should be a way to touch in and, and find out what that is and tap into that information. Right. Yeah. Um, so interesting. I think this is... I don't know what my thoughts are on this, but it's interesting that the WSL makes no statement about it. Like these things happen. Then all the pro surfers, literally Kelly Slater himself, take to Instagram and comment on it. All the Internet comments about it. And the WSL is silent about it. And again, I don't know how I feel about that. Should they make a statement? Should they address the elephant in the room? Should I mean, they, it, should the commissioner PR standpoint, if, if I was your PR firm, I'd say no. Let's let it blow over, which is what they're doing. Let's just be silent. They did make one little comment, which is kind of true. Like, I think they're, the way they look at it is, you know what? This isn't the first time. It won't be the last time. This one just happens to be under a bit more of a microscope. But in the past 30 years, since, since the very first heat was run, there's been judging questions or certain people disturbed by an outcome of a heat. That's been happening for 35 years. This is nothing new. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's okay, but... This has happened in the past. In the big picture, Slater often says this. Look, it all equals out. You know, like I got robbed in Japan. Now I'm doing, you know, like, yeah. you know, he kind of like throws this law of averages thing out at it. But um, I think the WSL, if I was advising them, I'd say, hey, you know what? Just keep it quiet. And I do, again, I think they said something like that. Like there was one or two lines where like, hey, we recognize there's some, you know, disharmony. Yeah. Let's just move on. Right. And I don't sense that. Or... They're also going, hey, we'll make the comment when we have a when we've kind of hooied up together after the event, right? And had a chance to kind of filter it all out and figure it all out and come up with a plan. At which point we're going to say X. Sure. Um, what are your thoughts? You mentioned conspiracy theory regarding world title races. It's not mine, but they're out there. Yeah, like, on the internet. You know, the, the, saying the, the, the whole you can't script this thing, the WSL tagline from last year. Well, there's that big you can script it, and it has been scripted. Like right. that's that's sort of out there on Instagram. They're keeping you know, like, Gabby down to keep these other guys in the mix. And there's a the whole Hurley thing, too. We're like, yeah. we're at the Hurley Pro. Yeah. John John loses. Now we're going to have to make Gabe lose to keep everyone even. Right. And then they're, on top of that, when I think there's some truth to this, is... The hometown guys, Brett, especially Tanner, a lot of people on the beach rooting for these guys. And do you think the judges don't hear that? Right. I mean, Tanner's got the entire city of San Clemente down there screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. And that, even subconsciously, somehow affects all of the judges. Yeah. It affects everyone on the beach. And I think that that's a problem, too. Yeah. Well, soundproof booths. Soundproofing. Eliminate that. Yeah. Um, what's your opinion though on that conspiracy thing? Oh, it's bullshit. Yeah, I agree. It's total bullshit. I agree. There's no conspiracy. They're not going to shoot themselves in the foot. Like, like that's just like that's that's crazy Jimmy Hoffa shit. Like yeah. that's over the top. Yeah. You know, that's the Earth is flat. Mm-hmm. We didn't land on the moon, and George Bush detonated nine. You know, the World <laughs> Trade Center. <laughs> just total bullshit. Yeah. No, I totally agree. That's what the internet's for. Well, so everything's evened out for the title race based on that. Um, another storyline for me was Kelly Slater kind of out-youthing the youth. Like, he did some spectacular aerials that, you know, um, full rotators, one layback that was crazy. You know, we saw him dominate at, uh, geez, was it Tahiti or Fiji? Now I'm forgetting. Tahiti, Tahiti right. So 
big eight foot barreling reef breaks, we expect him to, you know, elevate his game and be better than the youth. But this is a, a venue where the youth generally, uh, you know, ex- ex- excels and uh, nimble limbs and joints excel. Doing radical surfing excels. Kelly Slater outdid it compared to a lot of those guys. So I was really thrilled to see his return to form in that situation up until of course he came against the ultimate youth which is felipe toledo who yeah. just trounced him and the Wiz were shitty for that heat it was unfortunate but you know kelly did everything he could do here's the greatest thing about what kelly can do in the air and his level of progression i don't think it's i don't think i think the best way to see how brilliant he is isn't to compare him to felipe or the younger guys compare him to joel parkinson or mick fanning oh yeah he is so much better than those guys who are eight years younger than him, at least, maybe more younger, you know, maybe 10 years younger. And he completely outshines those guys, outclasses those guys as far as what he does in progressively in, in the air. In the air, correct. I mean, you see Joel Parkinson try to do an aerial and yeah, it's yeah. sad. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, uh, and Mick. And Mick. Matter. It's like they're, it's like, if they land one, they, you know, it's like a two foot credit card error, and they're like claiming it like it's like right. the great. I'm sure you saw the heat with Joel where he tried to do an air at the end, and it was just like, oh, yeah. I look like you or me. And, you know, like totally. It was sad. And so I think the best way to really see how brilliant Kelly is is to compare him to those guys, not so much to Felipe, who he holds, you know, he doesn't, he's not the aerialist that Felipe is, but he's doing stuff that's mind bending and it's classy and it's functional. And it's there's incredible. speed and there's speed involved it's where it's like joy com- he's like oh, bog it's incredible compared to anybody other than Felipe right, exactly. like and what's funny is you're comparing him to those guys that are 8 years younger let's compare him to his own cohort like compare him to 44 year old dudes oh. there's nobody no. out there like I'm doing a to- cheater 5 on my fun board with a <laughs> exactly. leash around my front leg exactly <laughs> you have to compare him to the generation below, and he still outclasses them. Then you have to compare him to two generations below or three, with which is Felipe and John John, and he's like pretty much on par. He's like the top five guys in that. His world. daughter is older than like the rookie. Who's the rookie on Kanoa? Right? Yeah. Kanoa. His daughter is older than Kanoa yeah. Igarashi. Well, you look at the footage of when Kelly first won lowers in '91. You know, with the star trunks that was in uh, black and white. Black and white. That was before John John was born. That was 26 years ago. Yeah. And he won that event. Body glove. And if you look at that surfing today, it would arguably still make the quarterfinals today. Yeah. Yeah. Like he was shredding. Yeah. So the the style of surfing that he's doing now is a little bit different. But the one thing I did like about Kelly surfing as opposed to everybody else's is speed, power, flow. And then I would argue uh, fluidity as well. Like the fluidness of his surfing. There's just... It's so... It's heads and above most anybody. From beginning to end, the the usage of energy and the trans... The way that energy transfers from one rail to the next, it's just really... There's nothing wasted. Crazy. It's really, really poetic and almost... It's yoga-like, you know? Like, there's a flow to it. Yes. Yoga-like, poetic, zen-like. How many... We've run out of a lot of adjectives. We're coming up with new ones. But I do want to talk about Jordy for a second. I mean, Jordy, uh, when when he's on, man, I'm in love with that guy. The power... You're in love with Jordy Smith. The power and the finesse of Jordy is unbelievable. Like, he has the most power out of anybody and then at the same time arguably the most finesse out of anybody in this blend that we just don't see very often. 
And actually, you know, he was with Parco in the final. We used to see Parco surf that way at places like J Bay and stuff. But Jordy has even more of it, I would argue. A, a greater degree of both those things. Yeah. So I'm a huge Jordy fan when he's on point. Yeah. <laughs> you just hate his uh, uh, not living up to his potential. Yeah, he's, you know, he's in that greatest surfer to never be a great surfer list. But he, he has moments of it, dude. No, he's insane. I'm not, so no, nobody is doubting his moments. I'm, you know, there's this, I heard something today about the term mediocre. Mediocre is like, you would normally think, okay, mediocre, that's like, okay, that guy's performance was, was mediocre. But the real definition of mediocre is when you have the ability to be a champion, a world champion, and you don't live up to your expectations. That's mediocrity. And there's guys that, and we've talked about them at length here on the show, that haven't lived up and that's mediocre yeah and um for whatever reason you know Mm. but you know life gets in the way of some of these guys big plans you know yeah i suppose there's guys like adriano prior to him winning a world title he's like he's the exact opposite well that's what i was gonna say no there's guys like prior to him winning the world title where you could blame that on him having some him uh having heat draws against Kelly Slater or whatever, and just barely losing out or him coming at the time of Kelly Slater, who was dominating for so long. Jordy, the reason why he hasn't won a world title has nothing to do with judging, has nothing to do with heats that he's matched up in. It has to do with him underperforming. You know, all you have to do with Jordy is go, dude, look me in the eye. Adriano won a world title. What the fuck is your problem? <laughs> Seriously. You know, and oh, I'm married. I got a girlfriend. I got this. I got, well, you know what? Get rid of all of that shit if you want a world title. If you don't. Did you just reveal he's married and he has a girlfriend? I don't know. Whoa. I mean, my point is, is that he's, <laughs> insider he's got too much too soon. You know, Adriano yeah. comes from, he's a street fighter. Yeah, he's a scrapper. Sure. You know, at totally. some point, if you're a multimillionaire, you don't really need a world title. Well, then get out of the way. Yeah. Go on a surf trip. Yeah, interesting. Um, well, we used Jordy's win to talk about how Jordy has failed us in the past. <laughs> Let's refocus. Let's congratulate on Jordy. By Jordy. The way, I know it. Jordy's a nice human being. We're not here to bash him on a personal level, but he is a professional surfer, and this is the realm in which we discuss and place our opinions on him. Yeah, I, I, I know Jordy's a great guy. All the people at O'Neill don't get upset. I loved seeing him win. I'd love seeing him achieve his potential because, dude, the guy, he's a one-of-a-kind talent. Um, he wasn't on my fantasy team. By the way, um, how'd your fantasy team do? I don't know. I never checked, but I had Tanner, but it got blown up when Wilco. I had Wilco. I had um, John John. Uh, you, I had Ace. Yeah, I, I did too. I had Tanner, which I was stoked on, right? You ended up with 718 points, so mm-hmm. not so good, actually. I what was the winning with, score? A thousand? The winning score was 1,114. What'd you have? Cold lefts. I had 839. Hmm. So I, I finished in Is the Is that counting your pack. women's team? No. Do you have Tyler? Do you not know how the surfing works <laughs> no, at all? How the scoring works? <laughs> you really don't, dude. It's really sad. Um, so we had like 24 people playing. We have, obviously, we have a, a clubhouse on Fantasy Surfer. And then uh, there's 408 people in the clubhouse, and then we allow people to wager on it. If you want to, all those details are on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Um, and then one person 
takes all in the wager. So cold lefts won in this one. But it was a big shakeup because so many of the top guys that you expected to do well, so many of the title contenders didn't. And then the wild cards did. So it was a real big shakeup in the clubhouse, uh, which did not benefit me at all. <laughs> anyway. By the way, have you ever shoplifted? Yeah, when I was a kid. Did you get caught? No, but my cousin ratted out, ratted me out. So. How did it go down? What what happened? Like, what was the situation? My grandma where yelled at me. I, no, I, where I, were you? What you? What you? What store were Target, you? Target. We stole um, Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels and Target in Southern California somewhere. Yep. How'd and you do it? Did we you like tucked it into the front of our pants? Yeah, but before you went in, did you guys go? Okay, this is what we're gonna do. Yeah, we wanted those Hot Wheels and we didn't have the money. We we're like, we're going in there, and then we got super nervous in the aisle while we were doing it, and. Uh, we made it. We made it out of the store, but then like my grandma picked us up and on the drive home, my cousin just fully rattled. She didn't even question us. It wasn't like she had the spotlight grilling us. He just freaked out and ratted us out. And <laughs> I think we got to keep him. She never she never like took us back to the store and made us like oh, what a confess. Bad grandma. Yeah. Yeah, I know. She was just looking. She wanted us to. <laughs> she wanted the best for us, I think. Um, oh why? Why do you ask? Oh, I heard Norm MacDonald this morning on Howard Stern talking about it. I thought it was an interesting subject. I thought the listeners would want to know your and mine. Uh, Go ahead. Spill it, buddy. Our uh, shoplifting story. Spill it. <laughs> okay, so my shoplifting story is I got caught. I was... Um, it was like 1977 or something like that, right in the late 70s, 77. And I was big time into skateboarding. And it was like Tony Alva and Jay Adams were like the shit, you know, Dogtown. And there was pictures of of Tony Alva grinding on the coping with like cigars hanging out of his <laughs> mouth, right? So me and my buddies were like 12. Gotta get we're some like cigars. 11. We're like, we got to get some cigars, you know? Like we would wear like the Tony Alva fedora hat, you know? We had all the Dogtown shit and... And so we we went down to this place called the Ditch where we used to skate. It was on Via de la Valle across from the Big Bear. And we're like, okay, we got to go get some cigars, you know. We're just like totally clueless 12-year-olds. I think we were stoned or something. And so we cruised into the into the Big Bear and our whole plan is what we do what we'll do is we'll go in and we'll go back to back. So when we go into the aisle, you, your back and my back join up and you look down that way and I'll look down this way and if you don't see anyone you go it's all clear and you just start shoving these cherry flavored cigars in your in your pants <laughs> so we got the all clear and we put some cherry cigars in our pants and then um, as we're walking out you know we got the grab on the shoulder oh, wow. by the guy you know and taking you up to the upstairs to the manager's office and call the sheriffs and call the parents and the whole deal. Wow. Yeah. So did that scare you away from ever stealing again? No, sadly I'm, I, I, uh, you know, I'm sure I stole some more. Yeah. Um, that's funny. Yeah, but it, it's fine. I haven't stolen in quite a long time. I will That's say good. that. That's good. I was about to put my I'm wallet. 50. <laughs> I was about to stash my wallet back in. Um, so it's been 30 years at least, I hope. Well, so, it's funny um, that when you're a kid, how oblivious you are to what looks out of place. Like you guys standing back to back think you guys think that like, oh, well, we could see everything, not knowing how unusual it looks for two 12 year olds to be standing back to back with one another <laughs> in a liquor store. Like that would never actually happen unless you were doing something wrong, you know, <laughs> or getting into a fist fight with like a. A circle mob around you that then you would go back to back, you know, it's all clear in a ninja kind of scenario. Uh, well, a couple of other things before we wrap. What um, about the golden ticket? Go ahead. First of all, 
are we going to get some credit for the whole Willy Wonka deal? Who's we? Me, right, yeah, me. You, that was my idea. I talked about it. I looked back. It was in May. I've gotten countless emails, countless tweets about people going, dude, Slater's ripping off Scott's idea of the golden ticket and the Willy Wonka parallel. Yeah. Your metaphor. Yeah. Completely taken. Borrowed. And not given credit, but that's okay. Well, let's, let me, where was the actual genesis of that idea? Could it have been... Pl- come up at multiple places yeah at that time? I, look the, from my point of view it was like look at that chocolate river it's like willy wonka and then i went oh he's giving away if, if he it was it this was at the time when he was just calling people his friends to ride the wave i was like god who's gonna get the golden ticket for this is, he's like willy wonka and quite frankly he goes on to mention that that was one of his favorite movies so the the concept that he also thought of it isn't that far-fetched but but we did publish a show and you put out an instagram with Willy Wonka with Slater's face photoshopped onto I it. I did, and so did at he. At a certain date. Right, May. That was prior to. Way prior, months this. prior. Right, prior to a lot of the other internet saying it too beforehand. And somebody sent me a thing that Leilin um, Connolly, who writes for the Orange County Register, a few weeks after my thing, did a whole Willy Wonka metaphor on it right. too. I'm sure she got it from me. But um, so he went on. Live Facebook's chat. I watched it. I don't know if you watched yeah. it. But he went on this 45-minute thing where a live stream, Kelly Slater, and he was announcing that he's giving away another golden ticket. So now there's three golden tickets, right? And it was pretty interesting. I mean, some of his um, – he took questions from the public and and some stuff that he talked about, like um, growing up in Cocoa Beach and being under the limelight of the space shuttle, which I thought was pretty fascinating. And so um, – but one of the things that – that he talked about that really interested me the most was that he was talking about where the monies for this campaign go. And I was under the assumption that it all went to ocean-related environmental causes. But he went on to say, and it was a very short thing, and he didn't elaborate on it, and and I'm sure other people caught it. I definitely caught it. He went on to say that some of the monies from this campaign is going to the community of Lamore, California. And that raised my eyebrows a little bit. And I want to know more about that. What is Because that wasn't in the initial thing. The initial thing was it's going to ocean-related environmental causes, 99% of which I think is the WSL's pure initiative, which is um, Columbia University doing some research or right. whatever, right? Um, so when I gave my 100 bucks, again, I was under the assumption it was going to WSL's pure. And then to hear him say that some of it was going to Lamar, California, I'd like to know, and I think it'd be in their best interests to kind of explain that further. Is the KS Wave Company building like a YMCA for Lamore, California? What's happening here with these monies? Because the cynic in me is going, are we paying their property taxes? Like, what do you mean money's going to the, that's just so vague that money's right. going to the community of Lamore. Like, how is it that environmental funds are going to the community of Lamar? And maybe there's a great reason. I would just like to know more because I think to say that money's going to Lamar and not like explain exactly what it is when we were told that money is going to ocean related environmental causes is sort of, you know, it's a mistake that I think that they should write if in fact there's a wrong being done there. Mm. What do you think about that? I'm not bothered by it. I mean, what percentage of it is. And I agree that they should be transparent into where all the funds are going. But I would assume, I mean, it is an assumption. I would assume that uh, there's a reason why they're doing that and that the reason is sound and that they've made a good decision in how that money is used, you know? I agree. Let's assume that. I would just like to know what that is. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. 
Interesting, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in San Francisco a oh, yeah. couple of days ago. How was your trip up there? It, you you it went to Santa Cruz? And San Santa Francisco. Cruz, San Francisco, and um, was with the dudes at Sunset Shapers. Oh, cool. Los Olas Surfboards. and James. Yeah, exactly. And uh, James he's, Mitchell. He's like, dude, look at this uh, surfline cam footage from this morning. And he pulls up the cam. He the cam's panning and he's like this is me in the lineup right here at like 8:45 this morning and it pans out slightly and a great white breaches like 15 yards outside of where the surfers are sitting in the lineup that's heavy and then yeah and so Did they all paddle in no he stayed out he actually came in cuz he had a uh, photographer on the beach and he came in and the photographer's like dude i saw a shark breach like right past where you guys were sitting because it looked like in the video that the surfers didn't notice it. For whatever they, they reason, they were scrambling for a wave or something. James didn't. Yeah. Uh, didn't notice it. It might have been behind where that wave was breaking or right. something. But the photographer on the beach saw it and then said, yeah, but that peak down the beach is better. Why don't you go surf over there? So then James went back out and surfed more. And uh, another kid that worked in the shop who was there said that he saw it go underneath him at some point. Gnarly. Or what he thought was a shark. Right. And then came in later and they go, yeah, we saw the thing breach. So pretty gnarly. So you saw the footage. Obviously, yeah. Surfline heard these stories, went back, reviewed the footage, and then published a story about it. Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, crazy. So that that was the morning I was there. Um, so anyway, what else? Uh, well, I see, that, sadly, that um, David Wood, Woody, the head of security at the WSL, <laughs> committed suicide prior to – it was a tough event for Dude, I wanted Hurley to, Pro. I kind of wanted to touch on this and – um, discuss it at length. I mean, really horrendous week. Yeah, it was a tough. It was tough, and I, you know, I just wanted to mention it because I, I never knew this guy, but apparently he was beloved, and it's just really sad. And this whole concept of, of um, you know, inner turmoil and and just committing suicide. Like, I think that people, if you're in that state, I'm assuming that you're afraid to comment on it because it's like, oh, you're going to get sent to the insane asylum or something. You know, like you're, if you're like, if you're looking at killing yourself, you're not going to tell somebody. And the concept that we need to break that barrier down. And, and if you're feeling that way, you need to express it. Cause I think expressing it is probably 80% of the issue, you know, just like, let's talk, you know, and then like, let's talk you off the cliff here. No pun intended, you know? Well, do you ever want to talk about your problems though? I mean, even when you're going through something personal, that's, you know, a lesser degree of that, it's embarrassing to talk about. And it, there's a little bit of shame involved and it's just difficult to talk about. So yeah. once it gets to that level, you're def- you're just not comfortable as no, humans. You're not comfortable interpersonally discussing things of that magnitude you know so let me let me reset the topic real quickly david wood head of the security for the wsl i didn't know him personally but i've seen him around my entire life like i've seen him at huntington during the u.s open he's the bald guy with the goatee with the glasses and somebody mentioned it to me like hey did you hear what happened last night that uh this guy david wood committed suicide and i go oh woody i knew exactly who he was talking about head of security for wsl so it happened during the Hurley Lowers Pro. Peter King, the photographer for Hurley, had photos of him that day that he ended up doing it. That like he was smiling, he was happy in the photographs. That night he went home to his hotel room and allegedly committed suicide. So everybody was, you know, really devastated by it for the Hurley Lowers Pro the next day when they showed up and found out about it. And then slight later in the week, Rory Parker 
not the Rory Parker of Beach Grit, but there's another Rory Parker who was a professional surfer, rode for Volcom. He was a goofy footer, ended up committing suicide as well. So we had two suicides in the surf community within this one week. Yeah, that's it's just horrible. You know, um, I don't really know what to say except that, that it, you know, we're everybody's at a loss like I am right now. You know, like I don't know what, you know, like it's just horrible. And I don't. Uh, so. I, I just wanted to acknowledge it because we people have loved him and his family loves him and and it's and and there could be somebody that's feeling this way right now and I, you know I, you got to find somebody that you that you trust and and even if you don't trust him you just got to find somebody and talk about it. I wish I would have collected my thoughts and written them down before I start elaborating on this cuz I don't want to like say anything inappropriate but I do think it's worth discussing and it's horrendously sad and I never have I've gone through some stuff, especially in the last year or two, that was really, really traumatizing, and I felt depressed about it, but I recognize that those things are different than actual depression. You know, like they're situational, and I went through a tough time, but I know that there is chemical depression that is very different, and I think that oftentimes people who commit suicide, they're dealing with that chemical depression, and what I also believe is that if those people push through that, they wouldn't feel the extremity that they're feeling in that moment that they took their lives. I would like to think that David Wood, with a little bit of retrospect, would get through that. And and while he felt that way that night, he might not have felt that way tomorrow morning. And he might not have felt that way today, a yeah. week later. So I feel like to do something so extreme and so definitive and final is such a shame because you're not going to feel that way later in life. And it's also such an affront to everybody else. I mean, it leaves such a devastating wake for your loved ones and for your children and all those things that if you could step outside of that depression for a moment and think of the greater picture, that it really isn't worth it just to eliminate whatever pain it is that someone is feeling. Um, Kelly Slater commented on it on, on Instagram, and I'll just read what Kelly said. I think it's pretty fitting. He said, you never know the state someone is in, the subconscious thoughts and harbored feelings no one truly feels or no one else truly feels or understands. And I guess this is the end of the road. It's terribly devastating to all of us who loved Woody to know this was him less than 24 hours ago, seemingly without a care in the world, smiling away in Peter King fo photos hat wig. Unfortunately, his emotions and personal difficulties pushed him beyond his breaking point, and he chose to take his own life last night. It would be convenient to blame another person. I guess it's natural to be angry at him. We're all just in shock. I loved this man. Can't believe we won't be seeing you as expected at every event. I can hardly remember an event without you. Always in everyone's corner on tour. It's really difficult to believe you're gone. Rest in peace, my friend, and our thoughts go out to your children. So that's from Kelly, and um, well, pretty well stated as it, it is, is the norm for you Kelly. Wonder, you wonder how often Kelly told Woody those things in real life, and it reminds me to make sure that you always say loving, affirming, validating things to other people because you don't, like Kelly said, you don't know what position he's in, and validating him might have might make a difference you know and more importantly the people that you interact with in your daily life 
not saying shitty things to them. Not, you know, like you don't know where somebody's at and saying something positive or negative could swing one way or the other. And maybe they don't commit suicide, but maybe they go home and kick their dog because you cut them off on the road or said something. Or maybe they go home and they hit their kid, you know, like negative things, things like that have negative consequence in people's life. So it's important for you and I to always make sure to be kind to one another. You know what I mean? Now I feel like I owe Jordy Smith an apology. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, we're allowed to comment true, on Jordy Smith, but right? truly, you know what I mean? Like yeah, what, no, what harm true. is it for you to just be kind to others? I agree. People? That's how I'm supposed to be living my life. Like, you, you were preaching it earlier when you were talking I know. about being exactly. in the lineup. Right. Know? So, I, I'll say personally, um, just give you a little personal story. Uh, in the past year, I went through something pretty traumatic, as I said, and like somebody pretty close to me um, revealed that they'd struggled with thoughts of suicide. And being close to this person, I was completely oblivious, you know? Right. And like I knew something was wrong in this person's life and that they had this turmoil. And I would constantly address it and engage like, hey, what's going on? But they weren't willing to engage because as we opened up by saying like, it's just embarrassing to talk about. So even though I knew something was wrong, I didn't know something was wrong to the degree to which it was wrong. And while I thought that I was actively engaging, I wasn't really penetrating what needed to be you know, addressed. And when I found out and it was revealed like, hey, this is something that I've been struggling with, I felt horrible knowing that like I know this person pretty well and I was oblivious to what they were really struggling with, you know, and it made me made me really strive for a deeper level of attunedness, attunedness, you know, being attuned to this person, Um, wanting wanting more interpersonal connectedness and not like because, dude, I wake up and my brain's going 100 miles an hour and I just start running through my day. Yeah. And I'm not worried about, I walk through my office, I don't even say hi to the people in the front. You know, it's like, oftentimes I don't. I just have my head down and I'm oblivious to what other people are going through. So, um, How's your meditation? Uh, better some days than it is others, you know? Yeah. Um, it could be much better is yeah. the answer to that question. Yeah. So it, this is just a reminder where it's like, hey, you are... <laughs> You are loved in my life. Like you are important in my life. And I want to make sure to stay connected with those people in my life because, again, you never know. Um, there's a surfing, an organization that's involved in surfing called To Write Love on Her Arms. They sponsored CJ Hobgood for a year or two on the world tour when he wasn't spo- didn't have a main sponsor. It's basically an American nonprofit organization which aims to present hope for people struggling with addiction, with addiction, depression, self-injury, and thoughts of suicide, while also uh, investing directly into treatment and recovery. It was based out of Melbourne Beach, Florida, founded in 2006. It's a great organization um, that, again, is involved in surfing and they sell clothing and stuff that all goes to this effort of aiding in these things. So check out to write love on her arms and um, get involved with them. And if you're struggling with anything like this, reach out to them. They have um, things in place to help with this sort of cool. Well, that's good insight. I just got breaking news Okay. in my inbox. Dave, our friend Dave Prodan emailed me because let me see. I wrote Dave an email this morning. I said, wondering if there will be fines levied to Gabby, Julian, and Wilco in violation of Article 171. Either way, who levies those fines? The commissioner? Question mark. How does this decision take place? Is it solely the discretion of the commissioner or do legal department, does Paul Speaker get involved? How does it all work? Thanks. Oh, and by the way, thanks 
enjoyed your podcast with Ratso. So um, I'll touch on that in a minute. But so Dave wrote back. He said, "Hey, um, I haven't been informed about the fine situation, but any disciplinary action would be levied by the WSL rules and disciplinary committee." I'd like to know who's on that, which is out of our legal department. Okay, so some lawyers would chime in there. Hopefully that helps, Dave. So Dave was short and sweet with his answer. (laughs) (laughs) Just company-lined it like I expected, but that's what he gets paid to do. But he has a podcast called Kill the Messenger. Yep. And I don't know if you heard the one with Ian Buchanan, Ratso. Yep. Really good. Um, Enjoyed it very. And uh, I look forward to listening to some more of Dave's podcast, Kill the Messenger. I Um, spent some time with Dave down at the Hurley Lowers Pro last week. Chatted with him for 20 minutes or so about podcasting and recording and editing and all of it. So it was pretty cool. Well, um, Dave, thanks for getting back to us and keep up the good work on both fronts of the WSL and uh, with your podcast. And I don't know, are we done? How long have we been here? Yeah, no, we are done. Um, I want to say real quickly, uh, I watched, I saw the world premiere for a film called Let's Be Frank. Which is yeah. about surfer Frank Solomon? Yeah, in South heard Africa. good things about it, dude. It was seriously the raddest surfing-related film I've seen in a long time. Cool. And I wanted to mention it now because it actually releases today on Red Bull TV. Oh, cool! For free for oh, ten days. Oh, I want to watch that. Yeah. And I interviewed Frank and the filmmaker Peter Hamblin, and I, I want to get it out there, but I also, I, I kind of actually was, I want to hold it. I want people to watch the film before I publish this. So. Right. I think I might publish it on Friday, so there'll be enough time for you to watch it now, and then I'll publish it, and then there'll still be five more days for you to actually watch it for free. It'll go up on iTunes after that, and they'll charge for it, but you can watch it for free for 10 days starting today on the 19th. I highly recommend watching it. It's a feature length, I think about 90 minutes, and um, best thing I've seen on surfing in a long time. And then I'll publish the in-depth interview with the star, Frank Solomon, and the filmmaker on Friday. I watched um, Just Passing Through Episode 8, which is Cyrus Sutton and the guys from Reef. And in this episode, they go to Kamchatka. Did you see this in Russia? Yeah, I I didn't watch that episode of it, but I saw when they did it two years ago, right? It's an old trip. No, but they revisited. Oh, it is? Yeah, he saw a swell on the the horizon, so he took a couple people and they went back. Got it. And um, it's pretty cool. It's just like two two and a half, three minutes, and um, it's really well done. Cyrus does really good, cool stuff. And um, kind of left me wanting more. You yeah. Know, like, but check it out. That's the idea because it's episodic, right? Right. So they'll publish episode nine for you next time. Episode eight, Russia's Kamchatka Peninsula. I love, I think one of the best things in surfing right now is tour notes. Peter King's tour notes that was a Hurley project. Then Stab had it for a while, that exclusivity with it. Looks like the WSL purchased it. So now it's exclusively on their website, but it's still Peter King producing it. Um, it's a behind the scenes look at every surf event and it's packaged into three minutes. Little interviews with the surfers, with their dads. It's really always funny with their families, not just their dads, but Charlie, uh, Felipe Toledo's dad in some of the cases, Ricardo. But I love it. It's just. It's quick, packs a lot of punch, it's insightful, it's hilarious, and the one after the Hurley Lowers Pro is one of the best ones yet. So, All right. We'll have to check that out. All right, Scott. Good to reconnect with you. Yeah, man. Oh, by the way, it's the um, Santa Cruz iteration of the boardroom is coming up shortly here, um, three weeks. So October 8th and 9th in downtown Santa Cruz at the Kaiser Permanente Arena. We'll be honoring John Mel from Freeline Design. 
There'll be a shape off honoring John and um, tons of great deals on surfboards, a bunch of really cool vendors. I'm really excited about it. And James Mitchell from Sense of the Shapers has, will be there. He's got a booth. and um, I'll be there. David, David will be there. I will be there. So come down and meet us. If you're in the Northern California area, we'll be there. Yeah, I'm excited for it, actually. And um, it's going to be lots of fun. All right. Thanks to Shaq for hosting us here. Surfingheritage.org is their website. Yeah. Surfing Heritage and Culture Center. Yep. Smithsonian of Surfing. That's right. And then um, if you want to connect with me, David, I'm on social media at Surf Splendor. Surfsplendorpodcast.com is the website. Go ahead and leave a comment. Um, Yeah. My Instagram's at Boardroom Show. My Twitter at Boardroom Surf. And um, my email, surftalksandiego at gmail.com. By the way, have you seen... Thoroughly confusing. I know. Have you seen seen any of the old episodes I posted up? Oh, right. We should tell people about that. In the last episode, you talked about some of your archival podcast episodes. Yeah. And I was like, dude, publish them for people. People want to hear them. You've gone through and published, I think, three since the last time. Yeah, two or three. Yeah, I did one, which is pretty good. It's P.T. and Sonny Miller talking about... Uh, Michael Peterson, and I think I did another one. Um, I can't recall who. It's. Yeah, <laughs> it's on my website. Oh, Ro- uh, Roar. Oh yeah, Roy, Roy, uh, Roy Powers. Powers talking Roy about Powers. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty cool. It was after he won the Reef Hollywood Pro in I think '07, and uh, so Roy Powers, and he's actually it's a pretty good interview. I mean, he's just an intelligent guy, nice guy, so pretty Funny good. Funny guy. Yeah. Right on, Scott. Okay, until next time. Adios and aloha. Throws themselves a little Thank you again for persevering another 90 minutes of Surf Splendor. You can find everything that Scott and I discussed in this episode on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Make sure also to follow us on social media at surfsplendor. Tag a friend in the next Instagram that we post. That'll help grow the show. Tag a friend who doesn't already listen. Let's do that. That'll help them find this show. Help the show to grow. The more listeners we have, the more rad uh, uh, guests that we can attract to feature on this show. You know how it works. We'll keep pumping out the content if you keep sending us listeners. All right? Like I said, I'll be back Friday with the episode Let's Be Frank, interviewing Peter Hamblin and Frank Solomon about their new film. Check it out in the meantime. We've got a link to it on surfsplendorpodcast.com. All right. I believe that's all that I have to say for now. Hope that you are having a wonderful week. I'm encouraging you to get back out in the ocean as soon as possible. Catch a couple waves and shred on, my fellow listeners. Shred on. Oh, 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 o